Hello, this is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Catholic Baltimore is a weekly radio program hosted by the Archdiocese of Baltimore, airing each Sunday following the broadcast of the Radio Mass of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic radio partners for sharing with us some of the content in this program and for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to the Archdiocese of Baltimore every Sunday. Welcome to Catholic Baltimore. I'm George Matisek, Digital Editor for the Archdiocese of Baltimore. Today on the show, Father Colin Poston tells us about a men's spirituality program called Exodus 90. But first, we speak with Catherine O'Donnell, a history professor at Arizona State University who has written a new biography of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton called Elizabeth Seton, American Saint. I spoke with her recently via phone. Catherine O'Donnell, welcome to Catholic Baltimore. Thank you. How did you develop an interest in St. Elizabeth Ann Seton? What, what sparked the idea for this biography? I think it came from kind of two two streams. So I grew up uh, reading saint stories, loving that part of Catholicism. Um, and then quite separately, I was uh, an M, an historian of the early American Republic. Um, and I'd always thought of those two things as separate. And then I was teaching a class on the early Republic through biographies, asking students to find an individual they were interested in. And one young woman said, I would like to write about Mother Seton. And I said, what a wonderful idea. Um, And I worked with her on her paper, and then that planted the seed for my own years of research afterward. For listeners who may not be familiar with Mother Seton, could you give a sort of brief overview of who she was and some of the accomplishments of her life? Sure. She had a a really uh, kind of short, uh, 46 years, but dramatic life. And she was born in New York City uh, just before the American Revolution. Uh, She lost her mother during that war. Um, Her father remarried. Um, but she had kind of a difficult childhood with a, a sort of awkward, cold stepmother. Um, and she was actually brought up Episcopalian, kind of a casual <laughs> Episcopalian. Mm-hmm. Uh, she married, she had a very happy marriage to a, a, a handsome, tall, transatlantic merchant. And she had five children. She got more interested in um, Christianity as she uh, grew into womanhood and as her husband Um, His health was failing, and his business was failing. Um, And then she and her husband, William, and one daughter went to Italy to try to save his health. He had tuberculosis, and his his business, he died almost on arrival there. And that's when she was introduced to Catholicism. And although it would prove very controversial, uh, she chose to convert. And it was after that, then, that she founded what became the American Sisters of Charity, who, of course, in the succeeding centuries, founded all kinds of schools and orphanages and programs, and who still exist as the Sisters and Daughters of Charity today. You subtitle your book American Saint, which seems really appropriate because you delve in both to the Americanness of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton, but also her sanctity. Could you talk about what specifically made St. Elizabeth Ann Seton so uniquely American, and then maybe what was it about her holiness that attracted you? Yeah, that's a wonderful question. She is American in kind of the sense of possibilities that her life afforded her so that she was exposed to a variety of religions. Um, She chose among them after considerable thought, 
And then she chose to share her Catholicism in a very gentle way, um, not so much by trying to arguing to by trying to argue other people into sharing it, but rather by living in such a way and teaching in such a way, so that people who came in contact with her wanted to learn about her faith and were were drawn to it. And I think that's also the part of her sanctity that I have found most moving is its roots in compassion and love so that she herself really knew what suffering was, knew what it felt like not to feel at home even in her own home as a child, knew what it was like to lose loved ones, to worry about her teenage sons. And all of those things, instead of driving her to be self-defensive or to judge others or to be bitter, all of them drove her kind of to find a deeper relationship with God, but also to seek a more deep and gentle and loving relationship with other people. And she had some really beautiful writings about finding God in nature, especially when she was in Emmitsburg. Absolutely. I'm glad that you mentioned that. Yes, um, she she loved mass and the material culture of Christianity and Catholicism, but she also just loved to go out into the woods, to go out into a meadow, and to, to feel a kind of communion with, with God and with the beauty of creation. And that also is something um, that she has in common with other American religious figures like Jonathan Edwards, for example, and others, and it it really is a, a a part of her world that feels both American and also very modern too. That one doesn't have to be in a formal setting in order to feel this kind of connection. Many Catholics here in the Archdiocese of Baltimore may be familiar with Mother Seton's story because of her connection here, both in Baltimore and Emmitsburg. Um, how was it that Mother Seton wound up in the Archdiocese of Baltimore? Right. So after returning from Italy, she's in New York, and her family is somewhat put out that she wants to be Catholic. It was not a religion that was understood at the time to be compatible with uh, Americanness uh, in a way that, of course, it, it is now. Um, her family was never cruel to her, but there were a series of kind of deep misunderstandings that occurred, and really everyone decided that she and her children would be better off in a place where she could more fully express her Catholicism and feel that she had a community around her. And at the time, that really meant Maryland because, um, as you know, and I bet um, a lot of your listeners know, Maryland had been founded as a Catholic colony, and those days were in the past, but there were still more Catholics there. There were uh, Sulpician priests. There was St. Mary's. And so they brought her there both so that she could feel cared for in a Catholic community and also so that she could become a kind of public, respectable face for this religion that most Americans mistrusted. And you have a beautiful description of her arrival in Baltimore aboard the Grand Sacrum ship. She was actually delayed in her arrival, which meant that she could attend the dedication of St. Mary's Chapel, the seminary chapel at St. Mary's on Packer Street. Could you talk about that, that a little bit? Absolutely. So, uh, right, she's left New York uh, with uh, her daughters, and they have this kind of dreadful uh, water passage. They finally um, get to Baltimore, 
it's raining, uh, but the Sulpicians have, have kind of sent a carriage. And then all of a sudden, uh, there she is uh, at this church being dedicated right then. And she sees priests that she's familiar with from New York, as well as um, other priests that she hasn't met. They're in their vestments. Um, it's a beautiful church. Uh, people are singing hymns, and she really feels as if she's she's kind of arrived in a city of God in a way that she did not feel New York had offered to her. And then she's just so thrilled uh, that she's uh, she and her children are set up in a little house on Pocket Street, which people can can still visit. So it's a wonderful place to visit, and she can hear the bells. Right, she's she's living within the fabric of a rich Catholic life in a way that she had dreamed of since since leaving Italy. Then she she didn't spend a lot of time in Baltimore and then she traveled to Emmitsburg and, and what did she do in Emmitsburg? Her hope and the hope of some of the clergy uh, uh, who helped her was to establish a, a sisterhood in the United States, kind of like the Daughters of Charity in France, a little bit like the Ursulines, so not a cloistered uh, convent, obviously, because Elizabeth herself had young children, um, and the church needed uh, people to work for it, really needed these women's work. So that's what was established in Emmitsburg, and Emmitsburg um, was very remote then. I mean, it's still it's still a beautiful place, right? It still feels like the, the countryside uh, now, and you can kind of see the Blue Ridge. Um, then it was a difficult travel over a, a, a pitted turnpike, uh, but they made the trip. She began to gather other women uh, to herself who wanted to be a part of this new sisterhood. Even before its rules were written, uh, people wanted to be a part of it. And they established a school which had both uh, a part to which you could pay tuition and then a part that was either free or reduced tuition for local children. So that was kind of the first establishment of it. And then before long, they had a mission to Philadelphia and a mission to New York. And from there grew what really became a national and and international benevolent organization. Really, the roots of the Catholic school system can be found in her work. Absolutely, right. And uh, Sisters of Charity have also written uh, about this as well. Sister Betty Ann McNeil, for example, is is expert on this. And I do want to make clear that all the letters I was able to read, all the journals, all the this wonderful evidence of Elizabeth Seton's life was collected over the centuries um, by Sisters and Daughters of Charity. What most surprised you about researching Mother Seton? What did you learn in the process? I learned a lot. I learned about the kindness of others who shared these archives with me, and I also was sort of endlessly surprised and moved by Elizabeth Seton's capacity to question herself, um, to ask what the best path was, to take risks, and so to live this very daring life, but to do it within a world of gentleness and love and humility that really meant um, that she created connections and hope uh, wherever she went. And I I hope uh, that I have learned something from that. And how can people order your book? 
Oh, uh, it's all the usual places. It's on Amazon, um, Barnes and Noble. Um, it's in some some local uh, bookstores. And if anyone just you know wants to sort of share with me their own experience of Mother Seton, which people do sometimes, um, my email is up on Arizona State University's uh, website, and I love to hear from people. That's great, Catherine O'Donnell. Thanks so much for being here on Catholic Baltimore. Thank you for having me. Our guest this segment has been Catherine O'Donnell, author of Elizabeth Seton, American Saint. Catherine will be giving a presentation on her book on Palm Sunday, April 14th at 3.30 p.m. at the National Shrine of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton in Emmitsburg. Once again, that presentation will be April 14th at 3.30 p.m. at the National Shrine of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton in Emmitsburg. When we return, Emily Rosenthal talks with Father Colin Poston about a men's spirituality program called Exodus 90. I'm George Matisek. You're listening to Catholic Baltimore. Do you want to know more about what's going on in the church and the world than you can get from your daily newspaper or local TV? Read the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the church full-time, The Catholic Review. Pick up the print magazine monthly at your parish or have the Catholic Review delivered to your home every month. You can get fresh news every day online at catholicreview.org. Subscribe to the Catholic Review e-newsletter for twice-a-week updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Find our app on Apple and Android. And follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Wherever your faith takes you, Catholic Review Media is ready to inspire, teach, inform, and engage. Read it today in print and online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. For 143 years, New Cathedral Cemetery has served the needs of the Catholic community of Baltimore and Central Maryland. New Cathedral is the only cemetery owned by the Archdiocese of Baltimore and is the final resting place for many religious orders and famous citizens. 125 acres of rolling hills, trees, and beautiful monuments, the cemetery is an oasis of peace and tranquility and is located off Edmondson Avenue just outside of Catonsville. New Cathedral is dedicated to the task of tending to the mortal remains of our dearly departed and has many more years of available space. If you are in need of a burial site, vault, monument, or marker, or just a respectful location to place your cremated loved ones, our counselors will help you through this process and make sure the wishes of you and your loved ones are honored. Visit us online at newcathedralcemetery.org, like us on Facebook at New Cathedral Cemetery Bonnie Bray, or call 410-566-7770. You are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Welcome back to Catholic Baltimore. Father Colin Poston, pastor of St. Anthony Shrine in Emmitsburg and Our Lady of Mount Carmel in Thurmont, is participating in a men's spirituality program called Exodus 90. He spoke via telephone with Emily Rosenthal about the experience. Thank you for being on the show, Father Colin. Great to be here, Emily. Great to be here. (laughs) Now, could you tell us a little bit about the Exodus 90 program? Yes. um, Exodus 90 is uh, what I like to call a spiritual boot camp for men. It is a uh, 90-day exercise whereby each man who participates in it basically gives himself in three ways, in prayer, 
in asceticism and ascetical practices and fraternity with the other men that he's journeying through this uh, program in. Um, and also through the 90 days we uh, read through the book of Exodus. You know, of course, that's the story of Moses and the Israelites journeying uh, out of Egypt and the oppression of Pharaoh to freedom. In that spirit, it is a kind of like a a journey towards spiritual freedom in Christ that uh, each man discovers as they, they go through it. So now you began this program in January so that you would end on Easter Sunday. Is that right? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. So how is this program beneficial um, before and during Lent? Yeah, so, uh, well, uh, obviously because of the, um, shall we say, penitential nature of it, it flows very well into Lent, that's for sure. Um, you know, the, as far as the ascetical practices, we give up, um, you know, sweets, snacking, alcohol, television, social media, those types of things. And then um, to boot, we uh, have to suffer through cold showers in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> so, but um, it, it, gives, it gives each participant pause to realize the things in their life that... Um, that might be enslaving them in some way or that they might be addicted to even. Um, the, the 90-day part is um, designed to, um, you know, break any kind of addiction that one might have. It's, uh, science tells us that 90 days is the time frame that it takes to break an addiction. In 90 days, we started it in January with the hope of ending in Easter because uh, Easter Sunday is the celebration of the Lord's victory and, and the resurrection. And so uh, as we're going through this, you know, we find that um, as we continue to struggle through it, you know, we're not perfect. You know, at times we might, you know, fall or give up, you know, on one of our <laughs> our sacrifices or whatever. But um, we continue to make make the passage, and um, and then on Easter Sunday, you know, hopefully we'll experience a new freedom in Christ and a new deeper relationship with God. Absolutely. And so, what for you has been the most difficult part of Exodus ninety? Um, hmm, that's, that's a good question. Uh, well, I would also add, in addition to what I just said, that we, we were also asked to pray um, every day to give the Lord a significant amount of prayer, um, whether it's a holy hour um, before the Blessed Sacrament, if possible, or just 20 to 30 minutes of private mental prayer, if we can. Um, but I would say, for me, it's, to be very frank, the hardest part is probably actually giving up social media because <laughs> yeah. uh, you just kind of find yourself gravitating to it a lot. But also um, the cold showers aren't a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, but but then just, just also I think just retaining the discipline of, of all the other things, it's, you, you start to realize what you might want to gravitate to, what you kind of develop habits in, you know, whether it's like snacking, like if you're stressed or... Um, want to have uh, like a beer after work or, <laughs> or things like that. So I think what, what one ends up finding is that you discover a lot about yourself. I think, you know, the more you, you find the struggle in giving up these things, the more you learn about yourself. It's kind of a, a challenge all the way around, but it's a good challenge, you know. It's a good challenge. It's, it's actually a joyful challenge. Now, when you do make a mistake and you, um, you know, gravitate to one of those things that you were doing before um, that you're supposed to be giving up, don't you have someone that is able to kind of help you along in that process, part of that fraternity? 
Yes, yes. And that's actually a very important part of Exodus 90 is the fraternal aspect. We we meet as a group. We have 10 men in our group, um, and we meet once a week and just kind of talk about openly about the joys and the struggles and um, how things are going. And then also, um, you know, encourage one another. Um, but also we have, each of us has what's called an anchor, like another buddy that we can talk to, share, like if we've fallen, or, or you know, also just encourage each other. Right. You know, and kind of give each other strength. And, um, and in that, we're also kind of building brotherhood and friendships, you know, which is a, a really good thing. So. It's a good parish building activity. I'm sure it's going to cr- produce some good um, parishioners for you as well. I, I sure hope so. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, Exodus 90 is a program that's exclusively for men. Um, in what ways would you describe that it is tailored specifically to relate to a man's spirituality? I would say, um, it was first of all, it was created by a priest with the help of some seminarians. The priest's name is Father Brian Dorr. He's a priest from Lafayette, Indiana. And he and um, the people who ended up creating it with him, including a couple of uh, laypersons, they um, target meditations. They're kind of geared toward men and kind of as a way, almost like a coach of a head football team or a head coach of a football team would um, kind of challenge his men. (laughs) So it's kind of, it's it's meant to challenge men and, and men, obviously women enjoy challenges as well, but it's kind of um, geared to, to um, particularly challenge men in their uh, manhood, in their fatherhood, you know, as a priest. And I think the language is geared towards that. And the one other component of this is also that physical, you know, we're, we're asked to exercise every day if we can, to do like vigorous exercise of some type. <laughs> that's uh, that's tends to be up the alley of many men, (laughs) Uh, not everyone, but um, it's a very well-rounded program. And so I've heard this program um, will be beneficial for men who maybe are preparing for a vocation, um, whether it's religious life or for marriage, or men struggling with an addiction. How do you think that this program can help um, men with those kind of life-changing events? Yes, well, I think, you know, the pillars are very important of – asceticism, prayer, and fraternity, you know, it all starts with prayer. The more we dive into prayer and give ourselves to God in that way and to spend time with the Lord, the more it just fosters a love for Him and a deeper relationship with Christ and the Holy Spirit and a desire for everything else. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. And that's why we're encouraged to pray before the Blessed Sacrament, you know, pray hopefully in Eucharistic adoration if we can, but even just praying before Jesus. I think with that, you know, all of the other ascetical types of things, you know, the giving up of things that we don't really need, you know, help us to realize our need for God, <laughs> that, that we need God above anything else. He's our first, our Alpha and our Omega. He's our first and our last. So um, it kind of helps us to realize that we, we depend on him and need him but also that he's going to generously give back to us, you know, when we give to him. So I think with that and, and the fraternal aspect, you know, when if, if, for example, if a young man was considering the priesthood, he finds a fraternal brotherhood in his in his brother seminarians and priests, you know. So so that aspect also, I think, favors, um, you know, a, a young man 
who might be considering that vocation, but it also um, helps any man just kind of build build unity with his brothers, you know? So we only have about a minute left, but um, Father Colin, would you tell us um, how you feel now that you've been going through this program and why you might recommend it to um, other men? Uh, I would strongly recommend it to men. I think particularly, you know, if if a man feels like he has an addiction, it would be very helpful for him, but also for any man just to grow in his relationship with the Lord and um, become more like Jesus and just kind of um, find a new sphere for freedom. I think that's uh, that's the gift here of Exodus 90. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Father Colin. Thank you so much, Emily. God bless you. Our guest has been Father Colin Poston, pastor of St. Anthony Shrine in Emmitsburg and Our Lady of Mount Carmel in Thurmont. For more information about the Exodus 90 program, visit exodus90.com. Again, that's exodus90.com. You've been listening to Catholic Baltimore. We'll see you again next week. Child abuse is not only a crime, it's also a sin. The Archdiocese of Baltimore has long made the protection of children a leading priority in its parishes, schools, and other ministries. The Archdiocese seeks to keep kids safe through rigorous training and background checks, and by implementing a zero-tolerance policy for anyone credibly accused of abusing a child. For more information about the Archdiocese's efforts to keep our children safe, please visit www.archbalt.org. Life can be hard, and at times we feel overwhelmed and alone. When faced with problems, know that there is a group of Catholics who are part of the prayer ministry of the Archdiocese of Baltimore, waiting to lift you and your needs to God in prayer. This ministry is comprised of men and women, young and old, religious and lay, from every ethnic and cultural background. They pray as individuals and in groups, in homes and meeting spaces throughout Baltimore. Like you, they are people who have suffered the same hurts, fears, pains, sickness, loss, and everyday burdens. Learn more about this ministry by visiting our website at www.archbalt.org. If you are in need of prayer, send your prayer request to prayers at archbalt.org or by phone to 410-547-5517. Would you like to volunteer to be a part of the ministry? Prayer ministers are always needed. Please call or email our coordinator who would be happy to speak with you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Baltimore. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May God bless us and keep us always in his love.